What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at TalkLouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, TalkLouderPodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today we are joined by a longtime friend of Jason's and a guy who I've had the pleasure of hanging out with on numerous occasions, riding Jason's coattails. Uh, That is John Bush. We know him from Armored Saint and Anthrax, one of the best metal voices ever. And uh, we're honored to have him today. We've been trying to get him on the show for some time. He's a busy man, but uh, he made time for us today. He was actually in Dallas at a at a hockey tournament for his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son plays hockey at some level. So uh, we got some time with him while he was uh, in Dallas. And uh, man, it was great hanging out with him again, picking his brain a little bit. Yeah, it's good to hear him have a perspective and where his head is uh, after all these years and and probably answered all of the questions that we ha- that we had for him a thousand times. So... But, you know, still catching him in a new light on some of that material as where with giving us fresh fodder, if you will. Uh, The importance uh, that John has had to me as a fan and as a singer is how much fanfare he has just from people who are not musicians, who are just true hardcore fans of his voice whether it be with Armored Saint or Anthrax or whatever it is that he's done, is true. It's all true. The, um, the, the fact that he, and he talks about how his voice has changed, you know, from when he was young to, to where he is now as a vocalist, uh, that's, that's legit. And now he's had to be creative. Singers have to be creative when they've been singing for 45 and 50 years you know they have to be creative with their voice because it's changing all the time not just not just puberty you know it's changing (laughs) all the time uh just because of your age yeah um and you know when you're when you're you know 58 59 years old and you're still singing songs you wrote when you were 20 yeah that's something because you know you want to when you're young and dumb you go crazy on the microphone and when you're there's something a little bit different about a 60 year old singing something than a 20 year old singing. yeah so yeah you have to be careful about you know by that by that uh that uh, that much of tenor as a singer you know what is going to work and what's not going to work so yeah. you're still hitting all the same notes but they sound different yeah so you have to be you just have to that's that's a uh, that's knowledge and um, experience. And his voice is currently getting plenty of exercise. He's out oh, yeah. with uh, Armored Saint on tour with Wasp. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, that pairing has some history that we talk about uh, with John today, going way back to the early oh, yeah. 80s. Um, I know you've had some history with him. I've seen you perform on stage with John Bush. Yeah, with Armored Saint and Anthrax, and it's been just a joy to be uh in the room and get the like this look yeah because <laughs> sometimes it was like not pre-planned 
you know, yeah. so then there was a few times where he'd be like, hey, I'm bringing you up tonight. You're going to do March of the Saint or hey, you're going to do Madhouse or whatever. I'm like, what? Oh, shit. How those words go again? You know, you're like, what? <laughs> it's like, I'm off tonight. I'm not. What are you going to do? You know, so anyway, those moments I, I'll cherish forever. And I, I mean, is he inviting someone on stage every night of the tour? Is there just somebody it. he knows in the, hey, you come up here and sing, you know? Yeah, I I think probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Um, so I know that, he holds that's you. Makes, in, it, makes it even more special, doesn't it? I know he holds you in high regard, and uh, yeah, he's he's always been so real and sweet, and he he tells the fucking truth. Yeah, bless that. And people should know that uh, Armored Saint has put out like three records in the past few years. Uh, picked up right where they kind of left off back in the day. If you stop yeah. paying attention, they've got. The last three albums are called La Raza, uh, Win Hands Down, and the latest one is called Punching the Sky. So uh, John's voice is uh, still in fine form all these years later, uh, and it was great to have him on the show today. We appreciate him taking time. John Bush on the Talk Louder podcast. Oh, wow. Uh, so um, for the longest time... I thought those songs were, I, I thought the names were wrong. Like I thought the song Four Sticks was Misty Mountain Hop. And was, <laughs> I mean, I knew what Stairway to Heaven was. Right. But, um, yeah, but some of the other like deeper tracks I thought were different names because the names were wrong on it. Yeah, that's a collector's item if you still have it. I do not. Yeah, I do not have that. You're not a hoarder <laughs> like Dave and I, obviously. Uh, apparently not, but... No. Uh, I don't have a bunch of my old original records or cassettes. I started collecting again, but yeah, it's a drag. I think I never took care of them, kind of like baseball cards, you know, and not really knowing that some of that stuff would probably be worth something one day. But. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could kick myself for getting rid of all those kiss cards that I used to have. I, I had enough to create the two of the posters that were on, you know, you could put the pieces together and make a poster. Uh, and I had enough of them to make two of the posters. And the, I don't know whatever kiss, happened. The to kiss them, dolls, the planet, the original planet of the apes dolls, all the GI Joes and shit yeah. that I just, Oh, I'm 17. I'm throwing this in the garbage. All yeah. that shit. Yeah. Be worth <laughs> I buy a car. Yeah, totally. It was funny. Joey had a GI Joe with the with the real hair, and he shaved it. He shaved <laughs> his GI Joe. It's like, dude, he's not growing it back. <laughs> but that was pretty weird that he was like, "I'm going to shave him." I don't know why. No, he was just practicing for the future. I guess you yeah. know. Yeah. So, so let's yeah. uh, let's just. I mean, we just have a conversation, man. We just hang out. We all kind of know each other. There's not really any. I, I I wanted to like play a game real quick. Oh shoot! Uh, today our guest on the Talk Louder podcast is the one and only John Bush. I am going to, uh, yeah, the, let the crowd cheer, Jason. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> I was going to throw uh, my co-host, not under the bus, but I was going to throw him a couple oh. of questions and check his knowledge of what we're about to get into here. Oh, boy. Metal oh, Dave, yeah. please name an Armored Saint song that maybe they did not write. That's hint number one. Uh, that has the word Saturday in it. Go. Uh uh, Saturday Night Special off the Raising Fear ding, album. Ding, 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 ding. 
give me something hard. Okay. That was like a volleyball spike backwards. Right. What is <laughs> the sticking with cover songs? Because cover songs are fun. Hey, Metal Dave, what? Uh, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Judas Priest's song. If there was more than one, you can school me. But I believe there might have only been one. Judas Priest's song did Armored Saint cover. Go. Now you got him stumped. Yeah, oh, now you got Ouch. Oh, Is it on an album? Feeling the pain. Uh, technically, not to the old school. Uh, uh, technically, okay. technically, yeah. Google it. Never satisfied. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was cool. That was right. Really, so, really, really it's an cool. unusual pre-song. It's an, you know, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. it's weird for them. Yeah, it's I don't even of... think Rob wrote that song. I I think it was KK uh-huh. and some other guy. Well, if you think about it, it's almost like Old Sabbath. Yeah. It's kind of a sway. Yeah, it's really heavy. And yeah. I love that yeah, song. It's, it's kind of plodding. Yeah, yeah, you guys killed that. And was oh, that on a, since we have you here, was that on like a real release or was it on that collection called Nod to the Old School exclusively? Yeah, it was only on Nod to the Old School. Oh, okay. Well, actually, that's not true. I stand corrected. I'm sorry. There was a Judas Priest tribute record ah. that came out like somewhere in South America or Latin America, and it was on that originally. Okay. I, I don't even remember what record that that it was on. Sorry to say, but um, it originally was on a, a Judas Priest tribute record in South America, and then we said, "Hey, can we re-release it on Nod to the Old School?" Right. I've never seen that anywhere else. So, yeah. thanks so, for uh, clearing that up. I stumped myself because I don't even remember what original record it was on, which is pretty <laughs> sad. Some because- people are. The guys who probably put it on where they'd be like having a sad face right now. Like, <laughs> even oh, know. yeah, they're going to watch this show, all three of them. And <laughs> the three people that watch this show are going to be hey, like, yeah. what's he talking about? Speaking <laughs> of, uh, speaking of raising fear, it's hanging on my wall autographed by you, by you kind gentlemen. Um, it is. it's out of shot right now, but it's, I've got, my across the ceiling in this room is nothing but auto, framed autographed albums and and raising fear is one of them and you're up there with some good company there's alice cooper motorhead judas priest dio so yeah wow. raising fear i wanted to ask you since we're on the subject of raising fear since jason kind of indirectly brought it into the conversation i was going to get to that but um i wanted to ask you john out, out of all the albums you've recorded what would you say is your proudest moment as a vocalist? Because I feel like Raising Fear might be your best, but I want to hear it from uh, you. That's funny because Raising Fear, um, at that time, I ended up singing the highest I ever did. Um, I don't really know exactly why other than I'm trying to kind of remember that at the time, I think, you know, it was the mid-80s, uh, 87, while well, we were recording in 86. Uh, um you know, obviously metal, it, it was in the middle of, the, of that decade and um, the way people were singing were a certain style. I think we were listening to a lot of Accept and, you know, various bands that had high singers, maybe even, you know, Queensryche. Uh, uh, you know, of course there's the obvious choices, but, um, and I think Dave Pritchard was trying to push me to sing higher. 
Um, and really, I think a lot of that stuff's out of my range. It certainly is now as I've gotten older and, and my voice has gotten deeper. Um, so it's hard. I have to kind of make some, um, you know, uh, adjustments to singing some of those songs live. I think they sound good with my voice as it sounds now singing them live but it, but like i listen back and like the song legacy i don't think i could even do it i don't think even if we tried i don't know if i could sing it we'd have to probably change the tuning on it so it's pretty up there and sometimes i make the joke that i sound like i'm i had some hits at helium before i did some vocal takes so um but people like that record you know they so i mean i, I i'll never ever like say ah, the vocal i think that they were just a certain way and you know, uh, as time went on, as my voice got de got deeper, really in the '90s, probably more with Anthrax is my when my voice changed a little bit. I finally got out of puberty, and um, and then it, it kind of got into this mid range where I'm like kind of happy now. Um, so um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just happy that I'm actually still able to sing at this age, yeah. uh, 59 years old now, and still sound pretty strong considering and uh we'll be tested here in this next upcoming tour we're doing soon six week run which we probably haven't done one of those in years so hopefully knock on wood i'll i'll stay healthy and, and sound good every night and yeah sometimes i have a tendency to over sing um that's one of my kind of flaws is that i'll just push too hard just probably caught up in the moment and then you know then you get hoarse but the key component, of course, and Jason as a singer knows probably all about this, is that um, it's really just hearing yourself. That was because for years, I think I probably, I always make the joke that probably 70 to 80% of all rehearsals and shows I played, the monitor sucked. And I mean, I'm not even joking. So, like, when you can't hear yourself or you're struggling to hear yourself, it's just not fun. It wouldn't I could be talk funny. to you an hour about that subject. Yeah. So, I mean, now with in-ears, um, you know, there was an adjustment to make in a learning curve with having in-ears, but um, I would never go back because nothing else, if nothing else, I could hear myself all the time. Do you, let me ask you just straight up. Do you, because I, I just got my first set like okay. yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've Thanks. never, and uh, off and on when, when, uh, when I can, when it's convenient, I usually bring my own monitor pack, but we're talking four wedges and amps, wow. you know, to keep yeah. it in the bay of the bus and all, you know. That's nice. You can't always do that. Fly date, you can't do, usually fly dates, it's festival rigs. You, usually the monitors are top notch and they yeah, yeah, yeah. know what they're doing, but yeah, yeah. man, sometimes you show up to the venue, it's like, oh, this is cool venue. What, where's the, wait, where's the monitors? You right, know? exactly. I mean, literally, where the fuck are they? Right, exactly, uh, where are they? Right. I'm 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 concerned because I love to like feel the stage yeah. shake just yep. at going check one two and my feet go right. You know. No, that's a legitimate concern, and I and I felt that way, and I I still to some degree do, you know, because everything's kind of insular if that's the right word, you know, it's all here now, contrary, and you don't one thing you don't get is the is the you know, the sound of the audience response. And, you know, that's really important to a front man, of course. And, um, you know, people are, oh, you can put mics in the crowd. It's like, well, at some dumpy club, you're going to put mics in the crowd. No, you're not. That's not, you barely have monitors. How are you going to put mics in the crowd? Like, that's not happening. So, you know, I do sometimes take it out on certain parts just so I can hear the crowd and the ambience of the audience. Um, but it's just more for the, 
uh, security of knowing that I can hear myself and, and then I won't over sing. And, you know, bands are loud on stage and then you have a, you're battling with that. And then the monitors aren't good. And if they're good, great. If they're not, they suck. And then, so I would recommend it for just about any musician because then you know you're consistently hearing yourself all the time. And um, for singers, it will preserve your voice, I think. But yes, it's a legitimate concern that you have, Jason, and there will be a learning curve to, to adapt to. So prepare yeah. for that. Yeah, so, so in your discography, I'm going to put you on the spot because you didn't answer my question. Okay, so let me answer. I, I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. I have a tendency to. <laughs> I want. I want to know. I think that. I think that maybe the last record I did. I think my vocals are the best because you know. Um, of course, I'm partial to what we just did, but recently, you know, punching the sky and when hands down, like I think I sound so strong and. Um, and it sounds like warm and, and good. So I think that, you know, for me, that's the best because it's current and it's also me of now and still being able to do it. Like people say, John Bush, you sound the same. And, and even though it's very um, flattering to me, the reality is I really don't think I do sound the same. I think I sound very different than I used to sound. But hey, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to still pull it off. And, and that's what I'm happy about. Yeah. Well, for my money, you're one of the best vocalists in all of hard rock and heavy metal and have been for, for ever since you broke onto the scene. Uh, I was going to ask you also, because I, I think a lot of people share that sentiment with me. I don't think I'm alone in that regard. Um, I'm biting my tongue over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, are there any vocalists out there that, that you feel, John, are underrated and don't get the recognition uh, that they deserve since you, your name comes up all the time as being one of those guys, I think, uh, do you, do you think there's anyone else out there that you recognize as being, uh, a really strong vocalist that maybe doesn't get its recon the recognition they deserve? That's a good question because, you know, the obvious choices of ones that are just amazing and do get the recognition are, you know, the Halfords and the Dio's and, you know, the, uh, the Bruce Dickinson's and, um, in the metal world and, you know, Jeff Tate's and you name it, you know, so in the Jason McMasters, hey, and, you know, hey, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he he's probably underrated. Jason's probably underrated in that world. Um, you know, I mean, checks in the mail, John. Hey, um, you know, I mean, it was funny. I just uh, was lucky enough to do um, the Rock and Rio show with the guys in Metal Legions recently and um and that was really off the charts show and festival and big crowd and that was was made in and i hadn't seen him in a while and um you know we actually stood like we were able to go like right in the crowd like in the very front to to watch him in front of like eighty thousand people in rio and i just like it was re it just reaffirmed to me how incredible bruce dickinson is and not just as a singer but his frontman energy, the guy was all over the stage and everyone knows this. Like, but I was just like, man, like I wanted to bow down to Dickinson again and go, dude, like it was so inspiring to me of, of just what he's capable of doing. And, you know, he does all these amazing things like fences and flies planes. And, you know, he's just this incredible person, but, um, and, and he, but he had cancer and he had, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he had like in a, throat or tongue or yes. something yep. like and he's a singer right so yeah. um the fact that he's just out there with the energy that he has and and um you know the the power and the conviction and the the front man 
you know, capabilities that he just is so amazing with. It was just really cool. I, he really inspired me. So, um, but he's, you know, he's one of those top guys in there. Um, right. There's a lot of guys. Todd uh, from uh, Queensryche, who's, who's in the band now, he's an amazing front man and singer. That guy is incredible. Don't get and, me started. Uh, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. So, like, there's so many of them out there. Um we yeah, had can... him on. We had Todd on this show. We talked like three fucking hours. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he he's, he's, he's speak and he has a lot to say. But, he's awesome. Um, man. He's yeah. a good dude. Yeah, he's, I know you guys great. toured together. How was that? It was awesome. You know, he he's a great person, and um, you know, it was a it was a fun little run that we did, and um, you know, the Queensrÿche guys are awesome, and they you know they just have those tunes. They can they can just you know play some legendary songs and. Um, you know, best I can to, you know, Queen of the Rye to newer stuff that, you know, they just, it's very, it's very convincing when they play them live. It's just, they're amazing songs. And Timeless. You, you back. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. real fun. And we might actually do some more touring with them next summer in Europe, which would be amazing. So awesome. I'd be happy about that. Wow. Um, Chuck Billy is a great front man and an awesome singer. And we just did the, I did the stuff with him from Metal Legions and, um, that was cool. And, and actually Luller was the band that actually played on the bill after us. And, um, so and sorry, who, who was uh, it? living color, living, living color. color. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And Corey Glover is just so amazing. What an incredible singer he is. So, um, you know, I was really inspired to listen to him sing. Yeah. You know, Mike Patton is always going to be one of those guys that I, I think is, you know, I don't think he's underrated of course, because people really respect him, but he's up there. You know, Chris Cornell, as far as being some of my favorite singers that weren't from the 70s and 80s. Um, yeah. You know, those guys were some of the best rock singers of all time. Yeah. I got to ask you, because uh, I grew up in San Antonio, and the first time... San Antonio! I, yeah. The, the first time I ever saw Armored Saint, uh, you were opening for Metallica on the Ride the Lightning tour, and uh, you'll... I'm Jason. Okay, so yeah, and and the thing is, in San Antonio, you ended up doing three nights because the demand. Cameo theater. Yes, cameo theater, and to this day, people still talk about that three night stand because if you were there, you wear it like a badge of honor. And and I was there. Jason was there. Uh, what do you remember about that tour going back? That was like eighty four, eighty five. It was a, well, the winter of 85. Well, it was originally, it was the Wasp uh, Metallica on Armored Saint. Fe right. February, February of 85, the Austin show was February 21st, which, oh, okay. is, the, which is the day that you and I met. Uh, we met in Austin, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it was an amazing tour because, you know, Metallica was just on the thresholds of exploding at that point and um and wasp was great it was our first album and our first album march the saint and, um and wasp and metallica were kind of at one point i think metallica went on i can't remember now but one of them went on first and then the you know the other band and followed but i don't think it was i don't think anybody wanted to follow metallica at that point i, I mean you never i mean ever really right yeah. in the history of the I don't think you really want to go on after them. So it was a little hard when they changed that and Metallica went on before Wasp. But I think, um, you know, they, they did they did great. And, and now we're touring with Wasp again, which is going to be so cool. Um, but it was just a great tour altogether. Like people still talk about that full tour. Now, by the time we got to Texas, I think that's when Wasp left the tour. 
And I really don't remember why they did, actually, to be honest, because I think it was supposed to be the whole nation. But like the Texas into the West Coast and even up to um, the Pacific Northwest, they didn't play those shows. And I I don't remember why. But overall, that tour was just a a lot of fun. It was, you know, a lot of people still talk about it, in particular, the the shows from Lemoore's, because we play three nights at the Lemoore's in, in New York and Brooklyn. And those were really amazing shows, too. So... You know, I don't know. How big was the Cameo Theater? Because it was crazy. We played three nights there. It's about, it's about, um, because I I cut my teeth in that place. Uh, Probably 800. Is that big? Yeah. I I mean, that's that's sold out. Five to 800. That's sold out. I mean, that's like slammed, you know. Is it still there? Yep. Yeah. Oh, people still have shows there. They don't host the. Con- they don't do metal shows that uh, that I'm aware of. I think oh. that it's more of like a event center type. It's more like a true theater, I guess now yeah. more than oh, a really? concert venue. Yeah. But it was like a flat floor, right? Was it? And yeah. then were there was there a balcony? No, no, no. Okay. It's a sloped floor. Oh, okay. From the front down to the stage, and then okay. I don't know. I don't know the stage setup any longer. But, you know, just a few years later, I saw Guns N' Roses there and they wow. still had you. I'm sure that when you at that show, uh, the shows we're talking about with Metallica, it had the stair the set of stairs that, you know, around the rounded front stage. So there was this stairs going up. Right. And I don't even think that there was a barric, a true barricade. I think if you were like yeah. in the front row, you were leaning on those, you were like knee down on your knees on that little stairwell right there. Kind of strange. Kind of strange. Right. I remember the, for that. Yeah. And if you rushed, you, you know, you, you got slammed into these steps. So you kind of went, you toppled like this and you, you felt like at an, you fell at an angle and like the wedge would be, you know, in your head. Wow. Okay. But it wouldn't. It wouldn't be like you know. You're bent. You know. If they. If you get slammed. You know. By the audience, it slams you over like an L shape. It was like, right. boom. <laughs> wow. like a kickstand or something. You know. Wow. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It was that? That was a great venue. I mean, I don't think. I think that was probably the one and only time we did play it. Maybe. No, you played um, Symbol of Salvation there also. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've okay. got a we've got a photo that we're going to put up in the montage with uh, a young metal Dave meeting you for the first time, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Now here's a, some trivia. I don't know if Jason remembers oh, I this. It. I saw. Dun, dun, dun. Welcome um, to trivia on Talk Loud Podcast. Um, I I saw Jason with um, in, in in Portland, Oregon. Do you remember that? I came yes, to your yes. show. Yes. Your toys. I, I freaked and out. We're touring. With who are you? You guys were touring with. I can't remember. I know who I was touring with. Well, yes, you do. I don't remember who you were touring with, but it was I, another. But I remember going to that show. The, the girlfriend I had at the time lived in uh, Portland, so we went to that show, and that was awesome. And that was like, what year was that? Now it was September. Uh, September of eighty nine. Eighty nine. Okay. Yeah, because her and I actually broke up like a month after that. I think so. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> She wasn't a toys um, fan or what? Didn't like the toys. She was into the show, but um, no, but that was unrelated to to the breakup. But um, yeah, but it was cool going there and seeing you in another town. That was really fun. Yeah, Who were you touring with? Give me a hint. Let me see if I can pull it off. It was junkyard. Oh, okay. I just you didn't give me a hint. Gave you the answer. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I might not have got that. <laughs> Junkyard, yeah. Um, you know, that was, you got to think about, like, from we, we were just talking about, uh, you know, early, you know, that, that Ride the Lightning, March of the Saint tour to, like, the date that we just, you know, 80 to September of 89. So February of 85 to September of 89. Dude, that's fast. That's a lot of shit going on in those oh, three yeah. and four years, three and a yeah. half years. That's fucking crazy. And I think about that stuff all the time, how fast it was like, hey, I just saw you a couple of days a year ago. Right. right? It was kind of like that. But we kept in touch all those years and sure. and uh it's that's which is another story that's great you know when i met you guys dave guess who introduced me to mr bush i don't know mr hetfield yeah. ah. so i'm at the back door at the austin city coliseum and there's a security guy and he's going you got a pass i go no i knocked on the door anyway and the door comes flying open and it's james with a nerf football and you guys were it was the gig the old austin city coliseum was like an old airplane hangar and you guys right. pulled the buses in there and everything wow you guys were playing nerf football back there that's cool door comes slamming open and uh james pulled me in and hey this is john bush and you guys were playing i just remember it like whoa nerf football yeah it's funny that you bring up uh, a foot, football because when I met uh, John and the Armored Saint guys at the Cameo Theater on the Symbol of Salvation tour, story, yeah. we were ended up across the street throwing a football in the parking lot. I guess that's how the, uh, you know there's, that's, they were killing time during the afternoon, and uh, yeah, so we were throwing passes back and forth in the parking lot. That's funny. Like now, you guys, I don't remember. I I kind of vaguely remember what. Uh, Jason's saying there, but I don't remember. I don't even remember playing the cameo. The symbol tour, not one of my highlights in life, quite frankly, um, much of that to some people's chagrin. Um, it was a really hard tour because um, we, we were, we, I think we had some high expectations as to, you know, what that record was going to do. And, and, and we were like, uh, we had some some uh, definitely some momentum from it from you know doing the rain of fire video and, and then last train home video and it was played on um uh what you call it uh what was the show on mtv here's ball here's ball thank you and um we were doing well but you know it was also the changing of the guards and that was you know when you know, grunge started kicking in and you know metal was just it was it was morphing if we put it politely and um you know, and it, the tour it was us, Wrathchild America, and Last Crack, um, two cool bands, but we just like we were struggling and um, to bring people in, and the attendance was mediocre to, at best, and um, and we were traveling in a van with the crew, so it was the band and the van in a in a van, so like we're talking ten people. And um, we, it was just brutal. Like it was just way too crowded, way too many people, you know, making these fairly long drives in a van with minimal sleep because it, it just, it was, you know, you were constantly on the move. 
And, um, and there was some kind of mutinies that were taking place within the crew and uh, against the tour manager at the time, who was kind of new. And so they were being a little bit harsh with him. And then we had some inner uh, dynamics of the band that were not going so well either. So it was, it was a rough tour, like one that I kind of have tried to exercise out of my mind. I mean, some of the shows were great, don't get me wrong, but the tour itself, when I look back on it, I don't have the fondest memories because it was just uh, it was just too rough. And wow, that's that's really interesting. Sorry to say. <laughs> That's that's interesting to hear because I know a lot of people point to that album as being one of your finest moments. And obviously the album versus the tour are two different yeah. things, I, I understand. And, you know, we just went out and we did the record in its entirety and we did, you know, it was about three weeks and it was amazing. So I think by doing that, it kind of exercised some of those demons from that original tour out. For me, it did. Yeah. I can speak on, my, on behalf of myself. But, um, you know, the record, yeah, it's it's, it's awesome. So, certainly one of our finest moments, if not like our cornerstone album. But but that tour just, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, me and, me and Jason went and saw you. You were kind enough to invite us out to San Antonio when you played. You were on tour with Motley Crue, Megadeth, and anthrax yeah. and i think about four days into that tour anthrax was suddenly off the bill yeah what what happened there and we were what? lucky enough to see you you know we were lucky enough to actually see you perform but uh three or four days later the rest of the world wasn't going to get anthrax on the bill right it was only about three weeks or so that we, we did that tour if, if that and um i think what happened was it was let's see it was 2000 roughly i think it was a year yeah. And, right. and, yeah. And for some reason, a tour like that in your mind today, right? Motley Crue, Megadeth, Anthrax. Well, that's going to be a sure winner. I mean, come on. Motley just played stadiums for goodness sakes. Right. right. So Anthrax is just did, you know, their 40th anniversary tour, which was, you know, one of their biggest in years in America. Megadeth is as strong as it is, of course, still. Um, so I don't know why the timing was just not good um for that tour so the dates were again not doing what everybody anticipated as far as the attendance goes and so the theory was and i don't i, I mean I'm, I'm slightly speculating because i don't remember exact reasons but i think really the, the majority of the reason was that um the t the promoters were asking for uh, some reductions in in payment to, to the bands and so uh motley and megadeth was willing to do that and, and, and anthrax was not. And, and it wasn't for any other reason that if we were to get at that point, if we would have taken a reduction, we would have ended up being in the red. And so we're like, we can't, we can't do a tour. We're going to be in the red. Cause right. that, especially when you're playing, you know, pretty big halls, like we can't, we just can't do that. We're going to lose money and it would not be, it would not be wise to do that. At you that guys, point. you guys had already been reduced to be that early on the bill understood. Yeah, I mean, we we had no qualms about it, and you know, it was a great run. The shows that we did, um, uh, even if the crowds were a little smaller, but we just couldn't financially take that kind of hit. We would have, we would have went from being in the black to in the red. And yeah, makes makes sense. I'm makes glad sense. that that made it to Texas because it was yeah. kind of the it, it was it was probably the only time I would ever see Motley Crue and Anthrax on a show together right and we played uni we played universal amphitheater in la and that you know that, that oh, yeah that's fine that held like about six thousand people and it was sold out so like yeah. we did legitimate places um 
in certain markets, it just, you know, I guess it didn't, it wasn't quite what people anticipated. Well, yeah, uh, I understand that. I was going to ask earlier, back to some saint stuff. Do you, I mean, I am a hardcore saint fan, as you know. The writing from the Pritchard stuff, I'll just say, to, to like, the symbol that have Pritchard stuff on it, the symbol record. Symbol have mostly Dave stuff. Mostly on it. Dave stuff. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why in particular it had more riffs from Dave than Joey at that time because that, you know, March of the Saint had kind of everybody contributing riffs and ideas, um, and then you know Phil left the band. He even although he did contribute some some songwriting on Delirious because um, we had already been rehearsing with him by that mm -hmm. point. So he did have some some songwriting credits. And then, you know, he laughed. And then Raising Fear was the four-piece. But then, then Dave and Joey kind of split writing. And um, Joey was always a big part of the writing. But um, for some reason, Symbol was those songs that ended up being a little bit more dominated by Dave. I don't think anything in particular more than just that was circumstantial. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was just hot at that point and writing some, you know, some riffs that just... Um, you know, we were focusing on, on, but yeah, he was, uh, that's what makes that record even more special because it was a lot of his ideas on it. And, um, you know, then he didn't end up, wasn't able to play on it. He played on all the demos and, uh, the demos we recently, well, not recently, a few years back, we, we did a, a reissue of symbol where we contained all the demos with it. So it was the record version and then the demo versions, which were cool because those were all Dave playing on it and um you know those there were some great versions of those songs uh where it was only four track at that point you know four track whatever little tiny board that you recorded four tracks on cassette right yeah exactly exactly yeah. so that's how we did all those demos and um you know they held up a little bit considering but um you know it was it was, it was in the rehearsal studio recording those things uh, on that. So, um, and that's what we ended up lifting to use Dave's actual lead from, from the demo on the song Tainted Pass, which is the one song that he actually appears on, on symbol because, uh, cool. we, we lifted that and that was hard. That was pro, pro pre pro tool. So they had to like match tempo and, and fly this lead in and, and make it work. Cause I think the tempo was a little bit different from the original demo and, yeah. Um, it was a painstaking process that Joey and the, and the engineer at the time, Brian Karlstrom, did. And probably took about, like, probably took the majority of the studio day that day just to, to make yeah. that happen. But it was well, really awesome. Did you, this is a, <clears throat> this would be a, kind of a, kind of a studio question here, I guess. Did you guys track the, the basics, you know, bass, drums, guitar, rhythm, guitars, maybe vocals, before you tried to fly in that that demo solo of Dave's in, or did you clock the tempo on the demo and match the clock to the studio tracks? Um, I again, I'm, I don't remember exactly, but I don't think we were. I think we just we recorded the album version of whatever, however we felt like that. Okay. That, that should have gone the tempo. Yeah. Um, I don't think at that point Gonzo was using click tracks. Okay. So I think it was just kind of a natural, 
you yeah. know, however the song felt like it was going to be recorded. And then we, I think the the tempo was different. I can't remember if it was slower or faster, quite frankly. Um, I'd have to listen back. They either but, had um, to squeeze or stretch, Dave. Exactly. But yeah. again, this is, we're talking, taking it from a cassette. So I think what they had to do is for those, you know, and I'm not a, a, a savvy person when it comes to anything technical, including. <laughs> Welcome to the computer. club. You are in the right place. All right. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to the Jurassic talk show. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. hey, we got, we're on Zoom, so this is a step. Hey, yeah. I know, right? But, yeah. dude, we had to learn how to do this. So. I did believe. It. I'm still learning. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, I don't, like, again, it was the cassette. So they had to fly the cassette onto the, you know, reel-to-reel. And, yeah. like, a separate reel-to-reel. Because at that point, you were tracking, you know, on on analog, right? It wasn't yeah. digital. It wasn't digital, it was analog tape. So you had to fly two, it two into inch. a separate, yeah. Yeah. separate reel to reel and then and then match it to the to the take on the you know the the, the version of the record from the separate reel. And it was they and you know they, I don't know how they did it because I'm sure there was some timing that was off. I don't know how. And that would be an interview that you'll have to do with Joey because yeah. he was and did it but they, um, they may have had to splice that tape yeah they may they have had it. to like do all kinds of yeah gnarly probably, work yeah they did but it, it ended up making him on the record which is cool and they, it's a nice. great lead it's an amazing lead that is in the slow section of that song so it's just beautiful wow you you uh you were famously invited to to join metallica and and of course anthrax and so no, number one i wanted to know uh, how long did you weigh the decision to not join Metallica? And then number two, uh, were you ever invited by any other bands that we'd be familiar with to 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 join as frontman? Um, he's gonna play in somebody else somewhere. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so <clears throat> you know this story has been told many times, but um, it's okay. Um, you know, I, it's it's important, I guess, for me to. To clarify my position in it, um, just because you know, I mean, I was a person, so um, yeah, I don't, I can't remember exact time. Um, I, you know, I, I think if I had to really sit back and think about it, I could probably figure it out for the most part. But um, generally, I would say it was in 1982 that when the, that talk started happening, because. Um, Saint was doing club shows in 82 and then by 83 we started playing you know a little bit bigger shows and more shows um so um and that, that it was already kind of off the map or off the you know offer at that point with metallica but um you know we started getting popular we started you know armor saint started happening we were really pretty um creative in the way we promoted our band at that time we we passed out thousands of flyers probably did a lot of littering unfortunately because people like let's throw it away so we ended up contributing to litter but um we we did we did like we were really savvy in the way we marketed our band and we just got out there and promoted and this is kind of before bands were you know bands were doing that but we really really took it to another level and um and we started getting big quick in la um so and that was around the time that metallica was you know came to me now metallica certainly had you know their 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 popularity was much bigger uh, than saints was because they were more on a global level because i think the no life to leather 
cassette was out there already just generating tons of buzz. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they were, they were, well, this was before Kill em All. So they, they really didn't, I don't know if they had an official record deal or they started to get uh, uh, the deal with Megaforce, you know, cause that's why Johnny Z would call me. He, he was the manager at the time in the label. Right. So, um, so they started, you know, they finally got their first record. Deal. But, um, you know, it, what I always tell people is that it, I, Metallica was great and I loved Metallica and they were cool. And, you know, we aspired to be like Metallica um, and we saw what they were doing and we were like, yeah, they're, they're doing the right thing. Uh, sending out demos and just generating all this buzz internationally, you know, but, um, but I was happy in my band and I was friends with my band. And, you know, the, the, the I always say that the, the relationship that go that was between me, Joey, Gonzo and Phil, you know, goes back to we were about eight or nine years old. Now, at that point, we were like 18. So it was only like 10 years. Right now, it's over 50, which is insane. Yeah. Um, but like we were friends and we were like doing well. So it didn't as much as I was flattered, you know, I, it didn't really make me go, well, I'm going to leave my band. Like, well, I just seemed like I don't want to leave my band. I like my band and we're doing good. And yeah. it's, it just didn't, it wasn't logical. Uh, of course, I always say as well that, you know, I would have changed, I mean, talk about pressure. I would have changed the whole face of metal if James Hadfield wasn't the lead vocalist and the front man of Metallica. If it was me, like I, I might have ruined it because like Metallica went on to become this, you know, the, the biggest band in the world. And, and, created this this whole vibe by doing so for so many other bands you know yes. helped out everybody's career by doing it i it i don't it would have changed everything because you know i they would have been a five-piece band james would have been rhythm guitar it was not meant to be you know for james not to be the singer and the front man of that band and and you know i always felt that like well james is great like he's the singer like they shouldn't get me or anyone else like it's you know and and i always say that the the level of vocal um talent that james demonstrated through the years was incredible because if you listen to kill em all and i know everyone loves kill em all but you know his voice was a certain way and then by the time like you know master was out he had he had grown so much as a singer like like that like tremendously and then, yeah. then then by the black album was a whole nother level so you know he really is an amazing singer and 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 was able to kind of become himself and doing so and you know i think maybe at that point maybe he was he was a little unsure still and insecure and and i no, okay am i the front guy am i you know should i be the front man or the singer but it was the right decision for yeah. everyone he talks uh, about it you know candidly sometimes i think uh about like how you know first it was guitar you know he didn't he didn't feel that good about his guitar playing which probably would make him like him and lars be like well let's find a singer and then da da da, da. And right until then you just kind of use what you got and you know he they didn't know just like you right. didn't know and no right. one knew that yeah you stay at it and look fuck what happened it's fucking right. crazy yeah. it's that like well, yeah and you could relate it you could relate it to the same thing it's like the world needed megadeth and we didn't know we needed megadeth <laughs> you, 
And if Mustaine wouldn't have had that somewhat of a falling out right. in that camp, there would be no fucking Megadeth. That needed to happen. I've talked. Right. And I, and I would say that, too, because, like, as much as Dave and, you know, he, he, he for a long time, it seemed like he was pretty bitter about what happened with Metallica. The fact is, is you were able to go bring your, have your own band where you were the front man. Yeah. You know? And if he was never going to be the front man in Metallica, he was going to be the lead guitar player. So he, you know, I, I completely agree with you. What that did is it created two bands that had a big impact on metal, you know, huge impact, of course, and, and be, it allowed both those guys to become front men. And that was really important and for them and for metal, you know? So, and if you would have had John Bush and Metallica, would have had that. If you would have had Dave Mustaine staying in Metallica, he wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had Megadeth. So yeah. um, these are things, you know, not that I'm the most spiritual guy in the world. I'm, I am a little bit, but like that was fate. That was meant to be. And, you know, um, it just wasn't meant to be for me to be there. And so it's, it's when people ask me, for one, it was so long ago and the, and the bands were so in their embryonic stage that it, it was so, it was kind of, didn't really matter, you know, then, um, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, I always say that like, it, it was, it would have been much harder for me not to join Anthrax because years went by then after that point and, you know, careers were began, had yeah, already started and records were made. And you're talking nineties so when, you know, yeah things that had changed by then anyway right. for, for, right. for armored saint and anthrax exactly um, yeah. in, in a lot of in a lot of ways guitar players you know uh singers whatever yeah you know dave dying yeah you know, exactly. so, yeah so yeah. like a lot of life had already been lived it, by the time you know when metallica came to me and i guess it was late 82 somewhere in that ballpark you know, we were all just wet behind the ears, kids. We didn't know anything. So, like, you know, it, it we hadn't get, got the chance to live yet at that point. Still, yeah. very, you know. One of the things I've always admired about Armored Saint is uh, you mentioned it earlier. You guys have been friends since you were, you know, eight years old or something like that. And that loyalty has stayed. I mean, you guys are, um, you know, very unusual in that regard that uh, you've maintained that level of loyalty all these years later. Um, and I just think that's really cool because you don't often see a brotherhood like that last through all the ups and downs and life gets in the way and all this other stuff. And you, you're, you just put out three albums in the last few years with armored saint. And, uh, I, I don't think a lot of bands can say that, that they've maintained that brotherhood, all that, you know, for those decades. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the transition from armored saint to anthrax, because I find it interesting that Dave Jordan was a common denominator during that transition period. He had just worked with you on symbol of salvation as producer, Dave Jordan, right. um, uh, known primarily for his work with, uh, with Jane's addiction. I think he did Alice in Chains. He was kind of an alternative. Yeah. He was kind of an alternative grunge guy. And then he, you joined anthrax and I believe, did he, he produced sound of white noise. Is that correct? Yep. Right. Okay. So my question is, did, did he kind of come along with you during that transition? And, and was there sort of a conscious discussion among the members of anthrax that said, we need to change our sound either to fit the times or to, or to fit John's voice. 
Uh, but there's obviously a, a very noticeable change in the sound of anthrax at that time. And so how much of that is Dave Jordan's influence? How much of that is your voice? And how much of it is anthrax saying we need to change something? Um, well, I say it was probably all of the above and, you know, uh, everything contributing to that, you know. And when I joined, of course, it was time to embrace my voice. So to do something to work with my voice would, would be a, a logical thing, you know. It would be dumb to change a singer and then say, well, we're not going to embrace this. You know, you, you we're going to still do what we do exactly. Um, you know, you, you want to be open-minded. It was a new decade. Things were changing. Um you know, I don't think it, it wasn't like all of a sudden, let's change the whole sound of the band. Of course not, because they were extremely established and, and, and were very important to, to metal with what they did. But, um, you know, it was, it was an embracing of that because, um, we loved everything that was happening at that time. You know, there was some amazing bands and it was, it was time for a new, for a new decade. And, um, so we, we went with it. Um, so, you know, I don't, I think it was just circumstantial that they, we, I worked with Dave and then they were like, well, we want to use Dave Jordan. And I was like, well, I love Dave. I just worked with Dave. So let's do it. Um, it was that simple regarding using Dave. Um, but I think using Dave was, was based on his body of work at that point, And everyone loved, you know, what he did with Alice in Chains and Jane's Addiction. And um, so it was, it was normal and, and uh, to want to work with him because he was happening and red hot at the time. Yeah. So, um, and I think Sound of White Noise is, you know, amazing album. I think it was probably almost a little ahead of its time in some weird way. Um, but the songs really did take on a whole nother kind of movement of anthrax and, um, and, you know, it just sounded like it just, it, it felt new and, and, and like it was really just of the, you know, of, of uh, very current, but, you know, even maybe, like I said, at, at some point, it almost as time has gone on, it feels like it was, it could have even come out later than it did. Um, but yeah, it's, it was, it was, a, it was a great time to, to work with Dave and to, you know, to make music at that point and for me to be able to say, okay, I'm, you know, gravitating to these other musicians and let's see what they can bring out in me as a writer and, and a singer. And, and it was awesome. It was, it was a great time. There was yeah. a lot of great material <clears throat> during your time with the band. Uh, yeah. Some great moments, uh, random, acts of random acts of violence, um, uh, Inside Out is one of my favorites of all fucking yeah. time. That's that's so fucking great the way that song builds. Yeah, it was and great the, live too. It was always cool live. Ah, uh, it's just a chug of a riff, and yeah. there's the dynamic. You know what I mean? So yeah. fucking cool. Yeah, and, and it and, and some commercial value, if I may stretch a little bit on that, because because of the anthemic sections. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm big mean, anthemic. Yeah. You know, the thing about my time in anthrax, uh, what I always tell people is that, you know, it, it was just, it was part of a change that was happening. And that's what kind of threw it into this kind of uncertainty, I think. Um, and I think that was all kind of normal. I think that was happening for a lot of artists. Um, you know, who knows how it would have been if actually they didn't um, get me and they kept with Joey in the band, they probably still would have went through a, you know, a transition into the nineties. Cause most bands did, you know, um, who are from the eighties. Um, some sat, some, uh, were able to weather it. Some, you know, maybe 
I was they sustained it uh, to a certain level of success or dipped a bit and came back. I don't know too many bands actually, well, other than Metallica, of course that went further, but um, yeah, it was, it was a hard time, you know, to make that adjustment to a new decade um, and let alone changing singers. And, you know, that would have, <laughs> that made it harder, of course, but, um, but, you know, I, I'm super proud of those records. Um, you know, I think that they are all really cool on their own merits and, um, and, and all a little different from one another. And, um, you know, I, I was, I, I was having a great time during, you know, all those early years in anthrax, because for me, I had taken a step up of success. Um, yeah. I went from playing small clubs with Saint to, you know, half hill filled halls to much bigger ones and, you know, much bigger attendance. So even though for them, the decline happened in the nineties, in particular, you know, from Stomp On, um, for me, it was an upcline, an incline. So yeah. I was like, this is great. And they're like, yeah. so last time we played here, we played the big hall. And this time we played, I'm like, oh, well, last time I played was the dumpy club down the street <laughs> in front of like 50 people. This yeah, is I, awesome. I played so, the gutted out. I played the gutted out 7-Eleven last time. Right. So <laughs> like, dude, this show is sold out. You know, Perspective so, is everything, right? You know, I, I, I remember. I remember where I was when I heard the news that you accepted, or or that you accepted the offer. I was in Hawaii. Oh wow! And I was in a hotel room, uh, probably having drinks with Mike Graves and Dan ah, Corpel. Nice, Dan's dude. Passes his life's past, but he was yeah. great. Yeah, uh, and the toys were over there playing a couple shows. That's and uh, it, w- it would have been probably, I guess, like, see if this sounds right, summer of 92? Um, it was, I think it was official, like, in April. So it was like. Oh, okay. Was All right. that, spring. Okay. Yeah. So spring, yeah. spring yeah. Of, of 92. And and uh, one of them, like, had just come from home or something and heard the news on the street. And it was like, we were there just hanging in the hotel, having drinks and just talking shit shooting the shit and he he knew he knew i would want to know he's like hey man have you heard i'm like what and i was like whoa i think dan corporal was the one that told me wow yeah yeah i mean that was a hard thing to do because you know back then you know we held on you know by our fingernails to make sure that saint was gonna you know get through all the trials and tribulations that we did and and it was really hard for me to leave. As a matter of fact, I said no the first time. And then they came back, luckily for me, and um, said, hey man, you should reconsider this. And I was like, yeah, I probably should. And um, I had a couple of friends of mine who I talked to who were not in the band who were like, going, are you an idiot? And I'm like, um, I guess I am, yeah. right? <laughs> and then so like, um, and it wasn't, it was only because of that crazy, you know, undying sick love for saint and and the members and and the things that we went through in particular just before that with dave and going through his illness and then him passing away so it was it was i did feel like i was abandoning them of course um but it's like again in 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 retrospect looking back that was just the way it was supposed to go you know that was his story yeah And, and that's how life goes and you know luckily we we kind of, you know, we've obviously we've picked up and done so much since then, um, yeah, but I, that's just the I, way I, it is. I, I hate to interrupt, but it's almost like, you know, you, do you, do you feel like you got the, the okay from your saint bros to, to do um, 
at the time, I don't think everybody was feeling um, great by it. And okay. that's normal. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, it created this kind of uncertainty in their individual lives. Um, and so, you know, they, they probably were scared and, you know, I understand. And, yeah. um, and maybe didn't feel too great about it, but you know, um, and at that, I can't, and, and I, they should feel however they felt at that time. Um, you know, that's of course, that's just normal, um, for them to help process it however they wanted to. But, you know, the beauty of it is that time has gone on and we've been able to make all these other records since then and resume as a band. And, um, you know, I, I hope that's, uh, gratifying, uh, this much later time. Yeah. I'm sure everybody in your camp, the, just from, from us talking to them here on the show, everyone seems excited and ha and happy. Uh, current events with COVID and, and the whole touring thing being obviously different now as well as just completely shot down for years is now uh, in full swing with some still some some new rules maybe for touring bands you gotta think about your meet and greets different etc yeah, etc yeah. just whatever yeah. the it's hey the new way is the new way yeah. like it or lump it that's fine right. um, but the fact is that you're you're getting back on the road with on an old school tour with wasp you are also uh i'm Dually excited about um, that, you know, with the Wasp Armored Saint connection there because it's super old school from, you know, we're talking 85. Yeah. Uh, well, 83, actually. 83. Holy yeah, shit. We, well, we, yeah. Well, we yeah. played a bunch of shows with them in LA and clubs. So. Right, right, right. So the, the, the relationship is huge. Yeah. Is that you have Michael Shanker on a handful of shows? That's right. Only in Texas and Tulsa, or is, is Michael on those dates? That sounds like a country song. Only in Only Texas is in Tulsa. Dude, you got an idea there, Jason. Right. I want to use it. Have you heard my country songs yet? I guess I, it's dude, I, I haven't, but I would love to. I, I love. That. I will email you some tracks. Outlaw yeah. Country is my favorite station right now of any radio station on Sirius uh, Satellite Radio. The, Super cool. Uh, Outlaw Country is amazing. I love that station. They play some amazing artists. Well, it's it's hard to write a good country song. I'm sure it is to do it uniquely. Yeah, because yeah, so much of it's been done. It's like metal. You know, how can you write an original sounding metal tune at this point? Right. Hard. Right. Or well, a Christmas song. Yeah. yeah. I haven't really tried to hard, do that. But... <laughs> really hard to write. Well, I have a couple of Christmas songs, too. That's cool. I wanted to ask you, and not to open a can of worms because I know we're running out of time, but you you, you spoke about your uh, being very proud and rightfully so of the albums you did with Anthrax. Uh, the the one album that I thought was curious was the Greater of Two Evils, right? Where you basically uh, came in and and the uh, songs from the Belladonna and Neil Turbin era were re-recorded with your vocals, right? What was your how, how were you asked to do that? That just seems like such a weird request. To... Uh, well, I think it was just the, the theory was that I was singing them live as a singer of the band. So why not just uh, try to get it on, on record just to see what it would sound like because I had sang it live. So maybe if people heard me singing live, they would associate it with, you know, this other record now because that's, they could hear it, you know, in their homes or in their cars. Uh, you know, not just live. So I think that was probably the philosophy of it. Um, it was cool to do it because it was 
really uh, meant to be like live. Uh, most of it was pretty live in the studio. We even had some people come and watch us perform it. I did redo some vocals for sure, because that's just reality. Um, but most of it was just like one take passes um, for the most part. So it wasn't like really scrutinized over, which gave it this really raw feel, which was great. Um, if I known realistically that I was going to be out of the band not too long after that, I probably would have said no, because there was no point. Um, but because that was still probably not in everybody's brains, we did it. And then, you know, the way life goes, you know, not too long after I did leave the band. So, um, you know, but people like it, you know, I mean, Brian, I like it. Bush fan. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's different, you know, it's just different. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just a different version of those tunes. You know, it, those songs, it's funny because like, I had to, I, I equate it with like, um, like a, a, a father who, you know, remarried with three kids of, uh, uh, you know, of, of his wife's, you know, previous family. Are you talking and, about the Brady Bunch? Well, we could use the Brady Bunch as a great example for sure. Love <laughs> the Brady Bunch. Um, but you know, it's that kind of same theory as like, you have these adopted kids and now you're going to have to give them your love and raise them and, you know, give it, you know, make them special. And, and that's kind of how I looked at the songs. They'll never feel like they ever did with Joey because Joey was the OG singer on that. And he sang killer and, you know, those are associated with him. But when I was in the band, I had to give him my love. I didn't try to change them. I tried to sing them as best as I could as the original versions. Of course, our voices are different. Yeah. So it, it was going to sound different, but I tried to give the same inflections and, you know, because yeah. I heard people sing other people's songs and then change it. And I was, I, I didn't like it. Right. Know, when I heard it. So I didn't want to do I that. I feel like that too. If I'm going to do a cover, I try to give it, give it the, uh, the nod. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're going to give it your own style because yeah. it's a voice and it sounds different, but, yeah. um, I, but I tried to do that as best so, I could. So they're doing only on this tour. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. awesome. That's yeah. just so good, and that let that be a nod. I was stoked. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I am. I, I, it's funny. My wife and Joey's wife, Krista, became friends on the Mega Cruise. Um, they just started chatting. I think Tori went up to her and was just like, "I want to talk to you because we have something in common here." And so they became friends, and they're still friends, and they they text awesome. each other, and it's really funny um, and and sweet. But, um, you know, um, she like tells, you know, Krista, like, yeah, man, that's great. And John's stoked that, you know, that Joey is singing that. And, you know, and I mean, I'd be happy if they played more songs, to be quite honest, because, you know, I because I love those songs and Joey will will sound great on them. So, you know, but I understand why he's reluctant and i don't have any issue of that i of course i know the logical reason he has his own material and and maybe he's like i don't want to sing that although it was funny because i guess maiden is singing i don't know how many years they've been doing this song but i guess they yeah. have been where they're doing a song from the blaze baby yeah. they era. do two, they actually. two of them they do yeah. two yeah it's crazy right so yeah. i was like wow not even diano songs you know we're talking blaze bailey right you know, so, and I thought that was great because it just showed security, confidence, like I'll, I'm me, I'll make it me. And that's it. And that's kind of I think with Joey, like, just go ahead, man, you know, embrace it. And if you want, 
you know, but you'll do it your way. And, um, and, and I think it's great. So I was yeah. done. We played only, it was funny hearing it. And I was rocking out at the Palladium show when I went to go see him and, um, it was cool. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you real quick, and this is my last question. Jason might have another, but my last question I wanted to know, is it true you were in a Huey Lewis video? Oh yeah. I was in the video of the heart of rock and roll. How did that come about? Uh, we were label mates at the time, you know, Armand Saint was about ready or we were maybe in the middle of recording March of the Saint. And, um, they, you know, Huey Lewis had sports out, which was a huge record for them. Yeah. And um, they were making that video and they had this scene where they needed some heavy metal looking guy. And so our a and guy, I think at the time, Ron Fair, uh, talked to the people, the powers that be in the Huey camp, or maybe the director and was like get this guy in our other band and he you know he's he's a metal dude he wears all this crazy armor leather shit and um he, he should be in it they did tease my hair up a bit and they made me look a little more 80s and i mean i was already looking 80s don't get me wrong but like i had makeup and much more you know i didn't really wear makeup i, I did on the back we did wear it on the back of the epa cover i can't deny but like uh you know, we didn't live and wear makeup or any of that stuff, but, um, but they put me in a lot of makeup, but it was for the video. So, um, and it was really cool. And Huey and the crew were, you know, his band was super nice and uh, that's a great album. And that was you know, a huge record for them. So it was fun. Yeah. yeah some yeah. people like Huey Lewis, they know how to write a goddamn song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Huey played with Ben Lizzie. He yeah. played a lot yeah. with Ben Lizzie. Hey. Hey, he's living legend. I, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll wear it on my sleeve. He's living wow. legend. Some great songs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, well, I don't really have anything. I mean, I could talk to you for five hours, and you know that because yeah. I, I miss you. And we've you had some really, really good times. And all those times you pulled me on stage, uh, I love you for that. Yeah, I pull you on again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I look a gift horse in the mouth, but it's just been it's 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 uh it's on it's on YouTube shit like yeah, that. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, our history goes back a long time and you know, I'm honored by it and you know, you're a great singer and you've done you have your own amazing career and you got your hands in this and you're a teacher and that's you know, it's really, really cool. I, I really admire everything you've done. Thank you. We, we, all three of us have been very, very busy since, uh, since we all crossed paths, the three of us here. That's um, great. You know, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm proud of you. And, uh, I, I, I think about it sometimes about, I think you and Tori might've already known each other, but me and Dave were there when y'all were kind of courting each other. Right. Well, starting well, it, to date or show. Yeah, it was a Dio tour that yeah, we did. Yeah, right. yeah. Because you played with us at um, the back room on that yeah. show. Yeah. So, yeah. And actually, Tori did come out with a friend of hers. Yeah. And, and um, uh, uh, we actually were, were not really officially dating. I think she did sleep in my bunk. We didn't even fool around. Um, but, you know, it was like because we were just friends at that point yeah, that's what I, that's what I, yeah it was just cool to see see sparks fly if yeah you, well it was cool yeah. we we established our relationship as friends and and um you know here we are like two decades later with two teenagers and um i love my wife more every day that's and, awesome you know it's like we have this killer relationship and um and yeah it was fun because we were just buddies you know then partying yeah. and we went to like i'm in dallas because i i told you it's funny i'm i'm yeah. close to you guys so I came here for a hockey tournament for my son and um, and the show that we played at 
with DL in Dallas was at the Bronco Bowl. I yeah. think. She yeah. was there. Her friend Terry's a gay man who's like this crazy flamboyant guy, he looks like Rip Taylor. And, um, you know, while well, he did that, he's just crazy. But when we played in Dallas, we all went out to a gay bar and oh, yeah. he ended up puking behind the, the cigarette oh. machine. And I was hanging around with Tori and we were dancing and you know, we were, you know, we were comp, you know, secure, whatever. We were at gay bar. Awesome. So, let's go. And then um, it was funny because Chuck, who was touring with Lynch Mob at that time, came out with us. And um, they were in a motorhome. He's an Alice Cooper has been now for years, right? Yeah. And, um, but he was like, and then and then they called him back. They're like, we're leaving now. And we're like, he's like, well, I don't want to go. I'm hanging out with the Army State guys. Like, and he had to go in his Winnebago. We had a real tour bus. I don't know why they didn't, because they were higher in the bill than us. But he was like, well, I don't want to go. And we're like, well, you don't have. You can ride in the bus with us. Ride but, with us, yeah. yeah but he, I think he still went back. He was really bummed. Like, I got to oh, go back. But like, I, I have a distinct memory of that show, you know, as well as the back room. Yeah. Back room was a weird one because, um, you know, that show was totally sold out. But for some reason, they told us, oh, you guys are going to have to go on like 10 minutes after doors open. And we're like, what? And I, I just, there's timing issues and blah, blah, blah. So you're going to go in, you have to go on 10 minutes after doors. And we're like, well, that's some bullshit. Like, what do you mean? Like, no one's going to be in here. So, um, well, that's we not true. That's not true. No, there was a good crowd there. No, it, it, and it, there was, I mean, yeah. there was, they, they try to get people in quickly, but, and by the time we, we finished, when you came on to sing with me, um, you know, it was packed, but, but we did go on like literally, I, I think with a there was something like 10, 15 minutes after doors were open. So yeah, you, can certain, you can't serve you can only get a certain amount of people in. I, I distinctly remember that because we were pissed and we're like, oh, what do you get? But we we had to do what we had to do, or third band on the bill. That's the breaks. Yeah. So, yeah. But you were there and we played and that was a great show. It was yeah. a great night. There great there night. uh there's a, a movie coming out about the back room, because you know the back room closed down years and oh, years, it did. years ago. Yeah. And uh oh. And it's now Emos, which is now not a not the the club downtown Austin on Sixth Street. It's a venue that holds like almost two thousand people, maybe oh. thirteen hundred people right, okay. on the site of the old back room. Oh, okay. And the pole that was on the stage. I remember there's that. A, there's a photo we're gonna put up uh, in our montage with I you took at, it. The, at the beginning of this, taken by Metal Dave, yep. and it's me, the pole. And you, that's great. That's great. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, they they're shooting a movie called uh, "Bloody and Bruised: The Untold Story of the Back Room." They've been oh, cool. shooting all they've been shooting all these reenactments. Yeah, because that shit that place is legendary, man. Right, right. Legendary. When did it open? You played there 15, 20 times, probably. Right. When when did it open? Do you remember? Oh shit! It was like a biker bar called like the Wooden Nickel or the Silver Dollar or some okay. shit like that in like the late seventies. Okay. And then it wow. took over the back room where it was like a game room, pool hall right. vibe. Right. And they built a wall in the middle, and it became two rooms. And right, blah, I remember blah, that. Blah. Yeah, they made it bigger, right? Because yeah. it was only one room originally, right? Yeah, and it had a a a, a state a corner stage. You got yeah. two walls with a corner, and I right. think the first time Saint played there, uh, it was a corner stage. Okay, maybe yeah. with Megadeth or Saxon. Saxon, yeah, Saxon, yeah. Saxon, yeah. Saxon, yeah. yeah. 
Well, the play, it stayed open for 31 years. So I think it started as the back room at some point in the mid eighties, possibly the early eighties, early eighties. How many times did you play there, Jason? I mean, (laughs) it was my, it was my backyard. Yeah. He had a cot in the back room. Yeah. We, the toys were the house, toys were the house band. That's cool. That's awesome. You remember the gig that, uh, here, there's some reminiscing just, and then we'll let you go. But here, do you remember the gig? Uh, this would have been in 87, maybe early 88, where I did two gigs like Watchtower. Watchtower I do, I do remember that. Uh, right. I did. For Armored Saint. And then I had, during y'all said, I had to run over to a club on 6th Street and play with Dangerous Toys. And I was wiped out, man. I was fucking wiped out. And, uh, and someone stole like Gonzo's watch backstage. Okay. And a couple of your crew guys came to me. At, they found out where I was, where the toys were playing. They came to me and they asked me about it. It was bizarre. I was like, I don't know, because I'm not there. I'm not policing your back. Your I mean, were they, they weren't accusing you or anything? No, no, not at all. Not okay. at all. Not at all. It's okay. just interesting, and I'll never forget that night, the chain of events and the shit that I had to go to because <laughs> – my bros and armored saints, someone ran th- you know, went through their shit while they're on stage and some shit right. was missing. And, you know, they wanted to see if I, it's like, oh, that's fucked up. I don't know. You know, it's right. like, I didn't put, put on the my show. Own yeah. yeah I, di- I didn't put on the show. I was invited to open for my bros. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, anyway. I do remember that. And it, why did we play the same night as dangerous toys? That sounds like a bad decision. It was a bad, play. it was a bad decision, but two totally different audiences. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Two different pairs of leather pants. There you go. You must have, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's so funny. Well, cool. Well, uh, it's been been great talking to you, John. Thank you for for being here with us today. Yeah, thank thank you you. for having me, guys. And um, thanks for working with my time here. The the game that my son was playing was going long. And um, I was like, oh, no. And I didn't want to leave because I'm actually – carpooling with a couple of their parents and i'm the driver and so i was like i can you work with me it's cool yeah. my son had a goal today but then he um he taunted the player that he got he scored on and then he got a penalty right after that uh, I was like he hasn't got a penalty all year and that was his penalty i'm like what dude <laughs> like, i i know you're a smart ass because i deal with it daily but like what are you doing yeah. But yeah, happy you got to go. So cool, 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 cool. Dave, awesome. take us out. Yeah, John, thank you for joining us. Safe travels home. Uh, continued success in everything you do. And uh, uh, we wish you nothing but the best on tour with Wasp. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. Um, and we thank you for joining us today. It's always a pleasure, man. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right, yes, brother. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave with John Bush today on the Talk Louder podcast. 